You know, as I sat here, I thought I should have gotten enough for everybody to share these this next week. So maybe next Sunday, maybe next Sunday, you'll all you'll all get a friendship bracelet. So there is this ancient fishing boat, and there, you can kind of see a picture of it. Uh, there's an ancient fishing boat that is in Ginosar, Israel. And it was found, it had sunk into the mud, and they found it back in 1986 in the Sea of Galilee. The boat was in use, so it was actually in actual use during the years that Jesus lived in the area. And it got sunk into the mud, and it was preserved, and it has become one of the most significant archaeological finds in the past century, easily. And it... um, there was so, it was so well preserved that it gives these really interesting glimpses into what fishing and the economic life was like for the villages that were right around where Jesus, Jesus was. Now, as a, as a biblical scholar and uh, who has a, a great interest in archaeology, I have read entire books about this boat. It is really interesting. And I have wanted to see this boat since I was in high school. However... The museum in Ginosar was not on our was not on our trip's uh, itinerary. But you know what was even worse about it? We were scheduled to have lunch. We were eating our little lunch, and I could see the museum with the boat in it. I could uh, stones throw away, and I kept there just looking at it, knowing that the boat was in there. It was it was kind of cruel as I sat and eat my fish, and. You know, our traveling group that we were going through, Israel group, was a group of really powerful, boisterous Pakistani women. And these these women, I'm going to tell you, they were a force to be reckoned with, seriously. And, And, but seeing this boat was not on their radar screen at all. So, so Carrie and I, we sat at lunch and I was thinking about ways that I could, I was thinking about that amazing boat that I could see the museum right there. And I, I was plotting that, you know, I could, I could run, I could run over there and run in, get a ticket, see the boat really quickly, and that would be really special. And so I kind of quietly mentioned to Yosef, our our guide, that I was thinking about doing this. And he said, no, no, that's not possible. He felt bad, but there just wasn't time for this to happen. Amazing things happen when you travel you realize that you are part of a much bigger world. And you, there's, there's so many languages, and there's so many cultures. You know, last week we talked about all the different ways there are just simply to greet one another. And this world is full of precious, wonderful people. Now, how many of you have, have you seen Rick Steves? You know, heard his radio show or anything like that? Yeah, so Rick, Rick Steves, you maybe have used his travel guides, and for decades, Rick's travels have been broadcast out to the world. And yet, for all things, there is always a first time. And here is Rick sharing his story about his first trips trip with his parents to Norway when he was 14 years old. Take a look. Yeah, but I'm lucky because on my very first trip, Tammy, when I was just a 14-year-old kid, my parents took me to see the relatives in Norway. And I was not only ethnocentric, I was egocentric. I mean, as you can imagine, a 14-year-old kid who had never been anywhere. And I was in a park. I'll never, this was, I just so, it's so interesting to think back on it. I was in a park behind the palace in Oslo. It's the Frogner Park. And it was 
filled with families out on a sunny afternoon. And I, I remember my parents were just loving me inexplicably. And I just, I knew my mom and dad didn't have a lot of money. They had never been to Europe before. They had compromised hugely in their travels in order to take their son along and expose me to all of this. They were just loving me. I mean, just flat out crazy loving me. And I looked out in that park and it uh, I still remember to this day, it was speckled like some sort of a idyllic Monet painting with all these other parents loving their kids as much as my parents loved me. And it occurred to me right then and there that, oh my goodness, this world, I never realized it, but this world is home to literally billions of equally precious, just as precious as little 14-year-old Rick, equally precious children of God. And for me to be burdened with that little bit of understanding has been a wonderful blessing because it just reminds me of the richness of this planet. And it makes it so easy to see that we're all family. And again, it comes back to that very simple appreciation of, of our relationship with our, with our Heavenly Father. I mean, this is our creation. We're all children of God. And when we travel, we're celebrating the family. We are all children of God. And when we travel, we're celebrating the family. Today is World Communion Sunday. And we join with people in every nation, in every culture around the planet, in breaking bread of all different kinds. Remembering, remembering the truth that although we are apart, we are united in one human family. It means a lot on a day like today to know that Russians and Ukrainians are coming to the table today, even though they're divided. Even as the world, the powers of this world, have them killing one another, there's still something greater. Democrats and Republicans come to this table. They managed to do that a little bit yesterday, thank God. Even as the powers of this world threaten to, to shut things down or to fight with each other constantly, there is still hope. The Apostle Paul wrote, Think about what I'm saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf of bread, we, who are many, are one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. Our time of worship, particularly on this special Sunday, it can, it should cause us to look at how the powers of this world allow ego and the sense that every one of us needs to have our individual way, that we buy into that. To buy into the lie that we are not one human family. Those powers, the powers of this world, can even force us to believe that we hate each other. And maybe that we should kill each other. But today, on this day, we expose the lie. Today we call a spade a spade. And we recognize God's honest truth that we are one humanity. No matter what you think about it, we are one humanity. And even though the powers of this world will do what they can to sell their lies, today we speak the word of truth, that we are one family. And the day will come when that is manifest. Until then, 
we have a charge to keep, to keep that hope of a better kingdom, a better world alive. And that's our charge to keep. So that boat, sitting at lunch, that boat was just there. That boat would have very likely seen the day where Jesus was out on the water on a day like this. One day, Jesus was standing beside the Lake of Galilee when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, and then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and he taught the crowds from the boat. And when he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, Row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, oh, Master, we've worked so hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets, and their catch was so huge that the nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. That old boat had seen the Romans building a new fishing fleet. So many boats that they had completely overfished the Sea of Galilee. There were, there were no fish left for the local fishermen. And those same local fishermen who were broke because their crop was, was overfished, they were then paying taxes to build the very boats that were putting them out of business. How would that make you feel? So when Jesus came with a message and a sign of hope, when, when they saw the sign of those, those nets in an overfished lake coming bursting with fish, that sign of hope caused Peter, James, and John to leave the boats and to begin to recruit, to fish for others to follow Jesus. It was hope. Hope that the powers of this world won't always have the sway to crush the little guy. Hope that there's a better way. They got out of the boats in the name of hope for a better world. They, that's what they did. And I wanted to see one of those boats with my own eyes. But it wasn't going to happen. One of the Pakistani women heard me talking about the boat with Carrie, and um, she, she had never heard of the boat, but it didn't matter. She stood up and she announced to the table, the pastor wants to see the holy boat. And I'm not sure that there was anything particularly holy about the boat. It's just a boat. Um, but 
as I had discovered with these Pakistani women, once they had something in mind to do, just get out of the way. They're going to do it. So Yosif, our guide, tried to explain that we had this tight schedule, but they simply said, no, we will see the boat. And so, and he said, well, there's no money. We don't have any money for tickets for the boat. Not a problem. He wants to see the boat. And without, a, without another word, Carrie and I were escorted by hand um, um, out, of the, out of the restaurant through the lobby of the museum. And there was a guard that informed us that we would need to go over and purchase tickets. To which our, my Pakistani friend said, oh, not a problem. Our pastor just wants to see the boat. And then they skillfully did something which was kind of amazing. And I, I, I was, so Cynthia was then, she distracted the guard by continuing to talk to him while the rest of this phalanx of Pakistani women <laughs> continued to proceed on with Carrie and I uh, in, in hand to see the boat. And they literally held open the sliding doors of the museum so that I could gaze upon the boat. And, and here it is, this is the picture I took. And you can, you can see the do not enter sign there on the door that they had forced open. But I saw my boat. <laughs> we took our pictures and we left as the guard was returning with reinforcements. <laughs> and the truth is that I could download much better pictures of the boat online in a moment. But what I will always remember about that in my heart was that my Pakistani aunties adopted me as theirs. And they would not allow the powers that be to deter a harmless act of love. We became family. These women that I went on this trip with, they had lived through horrible, horrible misogyny. Some of these women had had daughters who at 13 and 14 years of age were forced into marriages with older men. They were taken from their families and forced into marriages, kidnapped. Women who were forced to leave everything and flee their homes, to emigrate around the, around the world to, for trying to speak up for civil rights for girls. These women, my Pakistani aunties, do not easily accept others telling them what is possible and what is not. And when they are moved by love, there is no power in the world that can stand. When people are moved by love, the powers of this world will fall. The kingdom that Jesus proclaimed from that boat that day gave hope for that very reason. And it still does. The powers of this world say that white men get to make the rules particularly ones that are from superpowers, that people who look like me get to decide. But that's not the truth that Jesus spoke from that boat. And it is not the truth that my Pakistani aunties had trusted with their lives. There is a greater truth. It's a truth that the wounded, the wounded can strengthen others. It's a truth that we sang as we came in today that the poor who have nothing share with strangers. It's a truth that we can choose to love even when we're surrounded by hate.
And that was the truth that was in Jesus. And that's the truth that can still bring us back into one human family. It's the truth that saves. World Communion Sunday proclaims that truth beyond any, any of the powers and the lies of the powers of this world. So I ask you, do you want the truth that Jesus proclaims? Do you still want to get on the road with us to change this world and to make it a better place, even if it's one vote at a time? Then I invite you to a meal that proclaims that hope will never die. You can't kill it because love never dies.